Rehab Confidential is brought to you by Work at Health. Can't afford rehab but need help staying sober? Well, Work at Health provides online therapy for addiction nationwide and telemedicine alcohol detox and suboxone treatment in California, Michigan, Washington, New Jersey, and Alaska. Major health plans like Aetna are accepted in some states. Don't do it alone. Get recovery help on your phone. Download the Work at Health app for iOS or Android to get started today or visit workathealth.com slash rehab to get more information or check your coverage. Cool. This is Ooh. Rehab oh, Confidential. Oh, sorry. Frank and Amy Dresser. Oh, my God. We're peeling back the layers of the rehab industrial complex. So let's get into it. You want to get into it? Come on. Take the gloves off. Let's get into it. Hey, welcome to this edition of Rehab Confidential. I'm Joe Shrink. And I'm Amy Dresner. And here's my first question for you, Amy Dresner. Should I be introducing myself as the delightful Joe Shrink? Uh, absolutely not. And first of all, it was you were a delight, and it was one review. Right. But for every one person who bothers to write a review, there must be hundreds or even thousands of people who share the same opinion. That, that goes against your, your whole theory about the end of one, which is what, how you crush people when they go, well, my experience at rehab or my experience in AA or my experience with it. And you're like, right. that's called the end of one. So this is the end of one. Delight sounds like a fucking <laughs> ice cream. Uh, I yeah. don't Anyone yeah. that knows you would consider you delightful. I know that you think that I am riding on your del- coattails of delight. I beg to differ. Uh huh. But if it makes <sighs> you feel better, well, okay. And that for one our person's listeners, called you delightful when a lot of people think you're an asshole, then great. Right. Right. Well, look, I think that um, uh, I'm interested in all opinions. I was actually shocked. You know, we're starting to get reviews for this podcast, and somebody said, in their review, Joe is a delight. <laughs> I have in my life never been called a delight. Right. Not by a parent, not by a wife, not by a girlfriend, not by a child, by nobody. Uh, no. It's yeah. just not, not an adjective client. that's ever been no. used for me. Well, you're because you're not. Right. No, I don't I don't actually think of myself as I mean, you know, it's I think of myself as honest. I think of myself as you know, blunt. I think of myself as, you know, oftentimes cruel to be kind. I mean, I don't uh, think no. I've even been called delightful. Whoever that person is that wrote that review, please write us back and explain. Uh, try to unpack that a little bit. What exactly about... It's on Twitter. She loves us. Is a delight. Because you're smart <laughs> and you're funny. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it was just sort of a funny thing. So let's sort of get into this. Um, I, I don't want to talk about our... my nicotine withdrawal. You want to talk about sure. it? Sure. Sure. We can talk about that for a second. How's your, how's that going? It's going fucking gnarly. I seem to have, so I quit the jewel from four pods of 5% a day of nicotine salts to nothing. And I spent three right. days in bed and it was like the worst kick I've ever fucking had. And then, and I've done it before, of course. And, um, and then nicotine. I, yeah, oh God, I've relapsed so much on it. 
And, right. um, and then I just have been kind of like weirdly like agitated and kind of sad and depressed. And then like, I'm mostly misagitated. Now I just like my, my ex-boyfriend just showed me a picture of himself in a t-shirt that said, no pussy, no favors. And <laughs> well, if I'm not and a I was delight, like, your, I think your girlfriend he's must a really delight. Love, no, his girlfriend's a lawyer. And I'm like, his, your, your, yeah. your current girlfriend really must love when you wear that shirt in public. And I started to cry and I said, thank you for being so kind to me always. I mean, I was going through a divorce and I was like less than 30 days sober. I mean, this was years ago. And I crushed him. I mean, like, I was such, I was just not emotionally available. And I was so unstable. And literally, I mean, who cries over a no pussy, no favors joke? Nobody. I don't know that it's anything to cry over. Well, I that's mean, called it's nicotine withdrawal. Right. I get it. Look, I I'm understand. Emotional. And I'm sorry that that's happening. My dopamine's you know, fucked. I get it. I understand. And you're understand. so great when women cry. You're terrific. Uh... Well, I'm a delight, <laughs> especially when women cry. You love it. You, know. you haven't seen me cry in person yet because I'm afraid to get COVID from you. you see I know. So many people. Well, I see so many I people. I just want Look, you I, to make me chicken enchiladas and carry me everywhere. Uh, I, you'd have to leave the house. Yeah. <laughs> But as look, I, I'm a social worker. I'm essential, or you know, this is sort of the parameters of the COVID, whatever. So I, and yeah, I mean, I'm around, I'm around drug addicts and whatever. I mean, I feel like I'm fine and I'm cautious. I do everything they say, but yes, I could absolutely be a carrier and never know. Yeah, you're, but you're an essential delight. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we're never going to hear the end of that. Oh God, help me, fuck. <laughs> Ever, Somebody also said ever. that I need to work on my, um, what did they say? I need to on work your on interviewing my, etiquette. On and, my etiquette. and that your sound sucks. Yeah. My sound sucks. We tried to figure that out. We'll get there. We'll my get etiquette. there. We've got big know, people no. sniffing around. Don't worry. We're we going to be in the studio we and we're going to be like, yeah, we'll have real mics and, you know, I'll make lots of dick jokes and it'll be really great. And then we'll be in the same room with headphones and all that kind of stuff. All that shit. So let's talk about the alcoholic of the day. I chose somebody who is probably obscure to most listeners, although I'm a big fan. Um, Bob Stinson Bob, of The Replacements. Bob Stinson of The Replacements. Bob Stinson of the indie band The Replacements, which lots of people are obsessed with The Replacements. There's a Correct. Netflix documentary called Color Me Obsessed, which is you know kind of a play on one of their songs, Color Me Impressed. Um, and the Stinson brothers were an interesting thing to me. He, Bob, um, had a 12 year old brother, Tommy, who they taught to play bass. And in their first gigs, they couldn't get him into the clubs because he was 13 years old. <laughs> wow. I think it's kind of wow. fun. So I'm kind of surmising. I mean, I don't really know. Um, but it seems like they had this kind of fucked up alcoholic home where the mother was gone a lot of the time. She was a bartender. So she left these two boys alone a lot. And that's when they wrote beer for breakfast, which oh, is exactly wow. what I think two young unsupervised kids in a garage band would do. I did that in my thirties. Drink beer for breakfast. Yeah. During one of my relapses. Yeah. Yeah. 
I used to love beer for breakfast. I mean, I love well, the, the the morning drink is like when you have like I said it in my book. Like you get that buzz on, and it's like you have a secret on the world. Right. It's like a secret. I don't know. Like you're ahead of the game, but then boy, later you feel like garbage. You have to keep drinking oh, yeah, all day, yeah. oh, otherwise later, you feel like shitty. fucking no, trash. Yeah, by by three o'clock in the afternoon, you're like quiet, fucking yeah. like oh yeah, you feel like garbage. But yeah. I did beer for breakfast. All right, so that's our alcoholic day, and he died. What is our alcoholic of the but, day? But he, the well, replacements are very famous, very renowned, fucking like, like, like a kind of punk rock, right? Yeah, critically acclaimed. Yeah, uh, and he, cult following. Yes. Um, if you are young and unfamiliar with the replacements, listen to the replacements for sure. Um, Bob Stinson ultimately was kicked out of the band because of his drinking problem. They had sort of strife about which direction they were going to go. He wanted to stay more indie and they wanted the record label, of course, wanted more commercial endeavors. Um, He ultimately was found dead in his apartment. It was reported that it was an overdose, but the Hennepin County coroner said that it was not an overdose, that he died of organ failure due to prolonged exposure to alcohol. Uh, so, and uh, he was a young dude. It's a very sad what's young? rock and roll. Uh, 33? I don't know. Uh, he wasn't very old. Uh, he was a very young guy. His brother, Tommy, is still around um, and doesn't like to talk about it. <laughs> because oh, I've tried. Uh, okay. I've tried. Yeah. Okay. I've tried. In fact, I, I emailed his management to come on this podcast and they said, look, he's, he would probably do it, but he does not like to talk about Bob. And I oh, said, okay. Okay. Well, it's only like important 30. right now when people are dying, but okay. Look, people have a different response and a different reaction to yeah. the whole thing. I understand and people grieve in different ways. Yeah. I mean, I can't have it mention like my ex or something. I like literally explode. I'm like, I don't want to hear about it. See, that's a little bit of the agitation from the dopamine. Right? Uh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> anyway, that's so, terrible. Okay, so next item, Andrew Gilliam, who <clears throat> was, um, I don't know, maybe he still is, a rising star in the Democratic Party. He ran in Florida uh, for governor. He was mayor of Tallahassee, and he ran in the gubernatorial campaign and almost won, which for a young black man in the democratic party was shocking like he came extremely close to winning so and then after that he was found in a hotel room with some gay porn star who was overdosed and so on and so forth yeah yeah so it was a you know i mean look i always feel badly for everybody in these situations um I don't know the story, although you pointed out earlier they probably weren't playing Scrabble. Yeah, you're like, well, well, you don't know what he was doing in the in the hotel room with a gay porn star doing Crystal. <laughs> I'm like, were they playing Uno? What the fuck do you think they were doing? Like, really? Were they crocheting a fucking sweater? No. I mean, I think that what makes it hard is that also he's married. And I, you know, but again, I mean, you know, he said that he, he apologizes and feels guilty for the harm you've, he caused, I'm not sure if the, if the guy died or if he feels harm for 
the, 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 you know, the harm he caused his wife. But, you know, he also said that, you know, um, like, why do you feel guilty that you have an illness? I, I, I don't know. I just feel like no one would be like, I have cancer. I feel so guilty. I'm sorry. Like, do you no think that politicians that. can come back from this kind of a thing? I don't know. It's a good question. I think that drugs are still like a really big, you know, I mean, look at, we had Chris Taylor on and he's, you know, he's having a hard time coming back and he's a more patriotic motherfucker than you can't get a combat vet, white combat vet. So it's just like, you know, I think that that because it's crystal, because it's a porn star, you know, all of that stuff is really difficult. He's black. It's like he was married to a woman. I mean, it's all really Again, I, I like I'd like to have leaders who have actually lived a fucking life, not someone who's never done a drug or made a mistake in their life. Like, you know, how are they going to have empathy or or you know, you learn by experience and it's like, you know, he's I don't know. Well, look, I think he's very he's a young he's not old. He's I don't even I don't even know if he's 40, but he's a young guy. Everything that made him a rising star in the Democratic Party is still there. Right? Um, right. If it's tainted by this experience, I think that that is tragic. I agree with you. I believe in, I believe in improvement. I believe in change. I believe in the value of experience. Today, we don't have anybody advocating in the Senate at, or uh, in the Congress or really at any level. I mean, there's Marty Walsh, who's the mayor of Boston, who is very vocal about his recovery, which, by the way, they were like, oh, I'm sorry. He can't come on your podcast at no time. And I was like, oh. um, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. came back. I mean, that's being a movie star, but, that's but still, yeah, I know, I know. That's Hollywood. That's not the same thing as politics, and I think it's not the same thing as being a black man. What I hope is he gets to have his recovery. I agree with you. I agree with you. He gets to have his chance to. I think that any, I mean, you know, thank God, like you know, it's like I can't imagine having to go th through all this stuff in the public eye. I mean, like, you know, that's, that's what makes me really sad when the tabloid, well, no, and I think that one you know, of the things make that fun I've of like, you know, like Britney Spears or whoever, it's like people are having drug problems or mental illness and everyone's doing it. Like it's a fucking sideshow, you know, like a, a freak show, like a circus. And it's like, have some fucking compassion. It's like someone's having a hard time. Like it shouldn't be, it just, I don't know. The whole way they treat it makes me sick. It's like it's really it's really gross the way that he's been treated in the press. And, you know, for all of the shit that I hear all the time about the liberal media conspiracy out to get conservative, they're not nice to this person. They're they don't they're not framing this as look, he has a he has a mental health problem. He deserves help and he can when he's better, we hope he participates in the in the legislative process. That's yeah. not what they're saying. No, what they they're should saying be supporting is, him. Oh, we knew it. We told you. Yeah, that's you. horrible. This See, that's happened. horrible. That's horrible. And I'm sure all those people drink really heavily. I mean, they you know what I mean? Drink yeah, and like fucking have mistresses and all that shit. It's like so. I mean, no one is without you know. Let no, and know. and our current president was fucking a porn star while his third wife. Well, he's just. Baby. I mean, don't even get me started. Um, and somehow he survived that. Well, yeah. I mean. Whatever. Which I don't care. I mean, look, that's not why I don't like him. I think it's a private matter. He has to work that out with his wife. But right. it's just sort of this very different standard 
um, for black people, you know, white people, for black people, and for white people, and well, also this leads for, us into you know what we're going to talk about today, also, and sort of you know, right. Um, anyway, so look, I don't think Andrew Gilliam is one of our listeners, but if he is, we're with you, brother. You know, yeah, and come on, come on, come on, you should reach out to him. Yeah, you should reach out to him and have him on. I would well, love you know to hear I'm his not story. To reach I know. out to anybody. <laughs> You know, I'm, I, I fearlessly and also, reach out to you know, it's just, it's also, I mean, I've done all kinds of crazy shit when I've been high and, you know, yeah. whether he's gay or bi, like, who cares? Well, I don't know what he is, but I also think But it doesn't matter, like, world, you know, I mean, I did lots of stuff, you know, when I was hot. It's just like, you just get into that whole dark world and it's like so, I know. it's like and really the exciting the boundaries get, and, they yeah, get murky and, and you're just they not, get blurred but I would, I, you know, I feel badly I for him for having to go through this in the public. Like I did Chris Taylor, same thing, you know, but I feel um, badly for Chris Taylor. I feel badly for, I hope they both come back. I hope that Chris I do Taylor too. runs I for do Congress too. again. You know. I hope that Andrew Gilliam runs for uh, the governor's seat in Florida or whatever he's going to do next. I hope he gets better. I don't think that in the modern world, everything needs to be public. Like people who post that they bought a latte, you know, shit like that, where I'm like, what the fuck, man? Is there anything that's private? So whatever his... Well, the internet has kind of blown that out, you know? And people love to get behind the scenes and all that bullshit. Yeah. You know, that's the whole thing. Um, in, any, in any event, whatever was going on, I think it's his business. Well, and this I don't... Is a- Think yeah. it, it would impact. Well, the way I would love. Well, I would love for. to have him on, and for us to give All him right. some support. Well, and I think, yeah. Um, so this leads us into our um, our guest. Uh, who, okay. Um, wow, did we talk that long already? Yeah, because <laughs> we just wait, talked, we didn't even get to. Um, I know we never get to all our stuff because I was, you know, because we're making fun of each other too much. Um, so we wrote a piece for work at health, I guess yes. a couple months ago called, yeah. um, why people, called go, black to people go to prison. Yeah. No. Black people, black go, to people jail. go to jail. Right. Yeah. Black people go to jail. White and we interviewed a lot yeah. of, um, people of color that were in recovery, that worked in treatment centers that were all that kind of stuff and got, it was all lived experience about the racism that they experienced as either a client or as a therapist or as a tech or whatever. And it was, or in the rooms of AA Mm -hmm. and it was quite eye opening. And it was scary for us to put that out there as two white people. We were like, you know, but it was all black lived experience. And I mean, to me, the best thing I saw was, was, was a black uh, person who works in treatment said, this is my lived experience in print. And I went, okay, we did our job. You know what I mean? Like we shone a light and, and gave and amplified voices. And that was what I was at. So, right. well, look, I, I mean, thought, it's, it's something that we that's on many levels. I mean, one is the sort of macro level of why are white people sick and black people, people are criminals. Right. We're going to talk all about this. Yeah. So, one of okay. our fabulous interviewees was Francesca Gordon. Do you want to introduce her? Correct. Francesca Gordon was one of the women that we interviewed. She's a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist, which is, um, it's actually in California. I don't know that any other states have that, that degree, but it's, it's something that's here. So she's a psychotherapist 
and she focuses on trauma, addiction, and other issues. And she is a woman of color, and we want to hear about her experience. Yeah, and she's worked at really high-end, primarily white treatment centers, and has also worked at sort of, you know, county-owned. So she has all these different experiences, and she is not in recovery, which is interesting also. So she has a different view on it. I think she's fabulous. She is no holds barred. Francesca, welcome. Hello. How are you? Hi, beauty. How are you? <laughs> Good. Hi, Francesca. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm really good. So listen, <laughs> thanks for taking the time for doing this. And also thanks for talking, um, I'm sure, to Amy, because Amy did a lot of legwork for that piece. But um, so why don't you just, why don't, what, what, what do we need to know? I mean, I feel like, what do white people need to know? And I feel like a lot of, I mean, honestly, you know, look, and, yeah, and I mean, I a lot really, of people haven't read the piece and we'll link it, you know, to the site. But yeah, we'll link tell it us to Francesca, the, you know, yeah. talk to us. Well, I mean, like you were just saying, it's, it's on every level, right? So I worked in high-end treatment centers. I've worked in, I work in drug medical facilities. And so it, you know, people always talk to me and I say, well, it all started with, you know, slavery. Like I can link everything back to slavery, right? It's on policy, policy level um, and it's in the HR level. And then it's just our perception of people of color getting treatment, right? I was reading a piece the other day that said when, you know, black people go in and they have mental health symptoms, they are diagnosed with schizophrenia, whereas their oh, white God. counterparts are just simply diagnosed with a mood disorder. Oh, right. So just think wow. about that trajectory of your life when you have that. Wow. Yeah, those diagnosis. are some heavy meds for schizophrenia too. Those those antipsychotics are gnarly. Absolutely. And so you know my experience in treatment, um, in the world where people have resource. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay to send you for three, four months. We're just going to take money that we have out of the house. We're going to, you know, grandpa's paying for it. Or, you know, there is just, there are so many different ways that income can go to help the treatment, to help someone's life, right? So then we have the other end where there's people who don't have as much money. And for whatever reason, they are on uh, assisted insurance and they get help in that way um but they don't have the amenities that the treatment centers do that are predominantly white you know yeah it would be great yeah. if if what, a lot of the mean clients, they don't get to pet horses what, I, <laughs> right what exactly <laughs> exactly okay i mean they would so there's not sand tray therapy or there's not horse petting <laughs> or things kind of like neurofeedback that would or neurofeedback. drastically okay. improve. All right. So, so, there, so even the things that have mm -hmm. evidence-based and help that are evidence-based that have literature, yes, peer-reviewed literature behind them, mm -hmm. are not happening in uh, Medicaid or in, in government-assisted insurance. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. To things like you know, when I worked in on the west side, and we had to call an ambulance, an ambulance was there right away and would take the client to Cedars immediately. And you have on the opposite end, you call the ambulance and hopefully they come. Oh, God. And if they do come, they're not aggravated because you made a call to come. Right. And 
you know, so the so every little it's at every single level. Wow. That's what so I want every your, 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 your audience to understand. It's at every level. Yeah. Well, they, I, Francesca, let me, I, and I'm a bit of a history geek, so I don't want to, but when you say that you think it all started with slavery, mm -hmm. what do you, what do you mean? I mean, so my people were brought here to help white people create generational wealth, right? Correct. And that is not only financial wealth, because we can also have poverty of thought, right? And so when you have these generations who are able to build and these, and then my people who are not only not able to build, but constantly inundated with your less than, mm -hmm. it, it, you go into times maybe a hundred years ago where, okay, so we don't have the money to get a small business loan that would help our future generations. We're still being harassed by the cops. We already know what PTSD does to the central nervous system. Yeah. And it, it can just, it all leads back, right? Yeah. Well, I think it's just deeply ingrained into the American psyche. And I think that it is, it is generational trauma that transcends through the generations. And, you know, look, I'm not a black man. Uh, but I have, but I'm raising one mm -hmm. and I have my own set of trauma because mm -hmm. I've been pulled out of the car right. with him in the car. Right. right? So mm -hmm. we were in upstate New York, rural upstate New York. I, I'm pumping gas. I said, Andrew, go get whatever. I don't know. Go get hot chocolate, whatever you want. And I pull out of the gas station. I'm surrounded by these local fat little fucking Barty Fife idiots. <laughs> right. They tell me. Well, your the light above your rear license plate is out. I said, <laughs> oh. So and two and 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 someone someone got mouthy, and oh, could it be you? Yeah, <laughs> someone started demanding badge numbers. Oh boy, someone started, you know. And so I did. I will say that I escalated the situation. With that said. I didn't deserve. I, I I didn't need to be pulled out of the car and handcuffed because the 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 light above the license plate was out. That's not what the issue was. And so, you know, look. I mean, even in a peripheral way, um, I, I look. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've, um, and I don't mean this to be reflected on me or my experience. It's just sort of validating. Like if it's, if you're a six foot five white guy right. and you get shit from the cops because you have a black kid in the passenger seat, what happens to you when you're just a black kid? Right. Right. You know? And so I've seen it a million times and I've seen it in rehab mm -hmm. and, and what is your, and, and what do you think, how can, how can this be improved? How can it be improved? So policy, education. Um, and I guess, you know, for people to really accept that this is truth, right? Right. Because there's so many people who aren't willing to accept this is truth. You mean that, that, that white privilege is there are people who are, mm -hmm. they're deniers of white privilege? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And so, if, well, I, if, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wrote a piece and Amy, you can post this or we can get it posted about that very thing mm -hmm. that if you think white privilege doesn't exist, adopt a black kid and find out. Right. Because 
when we send him to college, mm-hmm. the whole, the set of worries is so different and so much deeper than if you send your white son to college. Absolutely. Right. And so I, I was like, holy fuck. I mean, anybody who thinks white privilege doesn't exist is mm-hmm. just like, talk about a nuanced, insidious form of racism, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, look, I think that it's, I think it's very important, like mental health professionals like yourself, <laughs> it's a very important portal into change because of the very thing that we wrote in that piece, which is white people go to rehab and black people go to prison. Right. White people are sick. Black people are criminals. Right. Until that mindset changes, how do we actually change that culture of crime and policing? Well, and also, you know, what we found out during, you know, in, in that piece was that even the wealthy Black people who go to treatment, it's an all-white treatment center. Francesca is one of a handful of of, 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 of black therapists around in the, in the, yeah. in the industry. So a lot of black yeah. people d- don't want to, they don't feel comfortable talking to a white person about their, their, their racial trauma. You know what I mean? And no one's equipped to even li- really deal with it. I mean, we had one woman who literally was told it has nothing to do with her alcoholism, but incest and poverty and all this other stuff does. And she was like, what the fuck? You know, and Francesca's right. special, and she's like a hot commodity because she is a black counselor. I mean, that was the whole thing. They got there. They were the only black person there, and there were, like, no black counselors. I mean, my favorite story of yours was, and you've got to tell that. When, I mean, a couple of your stories were so great, which was, like, when someone must stuck her for, <laughs> like, tech. Tech. Yeah, she's the head fucking therapist. Yeah. Right. And someone right. else was like, we right. got, you know, well, back in, in, you know, where I'm from, we got drugs. And she, and he looked over at her and goes, yes. black people. Like, yeah. they all know each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like gay people. Well, like, people like, like, straight people think all gay yeah. people know each other or like all Jews know each other. Right. Like, it's not like a, you know. Absolutely. Like yeah. People are clients, you know, they are surprised and maybe you know where i was working on the west side wherever they came from they didn't experience um black people in positions of power right you know black people they have to listen to um and so that because that wasn't a cultural norm for them they were a little shocked right yeah i mean many times i i'd even get from some colleagues I was so surprised you you talk like that. Talk like oh what? Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> what do you mean? Talk like what? <laughs> what were articulate? Right, right. Wow, wow. So I mean, but this is so normal. This is normal. Well, and this is normal for. But yeah. even that, I would right, be, it's the privilege look, I mean, of, of that's being colleagues. offended. Right? Yeah. That's you know, colleagues, and, can, and most of them say, are going to be in, in in recovery, so they know what it's like to be prejudiced against. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're a drug addict, you know what it's like to be stigmatized. Like, you know, how, how about walking through TSA with track marks all over your fucking arms and neck? That's a fun moment I had. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, even even in the recovery culture, 
tweakers and IV drug users are looked down upon by alcoholics. We're like the bottom of the barrel, you know? So it's like, I mean, that just pisses me off so much. That but is- my favorite thing, and we d- it didn't make it in the piece, Francesca, tell the story when Trump got elected and everyone was crying. <laughs> oh yeah, Trump got elected. I, uh, you and know, I worked with and uh-huh. all the white chicks were crying. All the white blonde chicks were crying, right? I worked yeah. with a bunch of of brilliant therapists. I'll put that out there first. Um, and they were highly, highly upset. They were highly upset that <laughs> Trump was elected. Well, and, you know, and most people were. I, it's not like I wasn't upset, but no, he's an you asshole. Know, I'm, yeah, I'm black. We have been through so much more he really is small potatoes compared to the shit that we've been through. Let's keep it real. So, um, they were really upset. Like, and I didn't, I was just, I guess I was just kind of blown away because on a daily basis, you know, the black community has to deal with upset and you keep moving and you're upset and you keep moving, you know, and people treat you badly and you keep moving. So, this day it was just very i don't know it was i just never seen everybody crying like that and you know i said we'll get you haven't seen white people who were put upon because they now felt exploited after black people have been murdered and Absolutely. exploited for 400 years right. and she Absolutely. said to me tell you tell said, what you said i said um i i'll get through it i have slave blood in my veins yeah. I'm going to be okay. Right? Resilient, yeah. man. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're certainly entitled. I get why they were upset, but I'm just wondering why they weren't upset years ago in the same way. Mm. You know, because all of this has always been happening, but, you know, it, it, it hit home in a different way. It just hit home in a different way. So I do have compassion for them. <laughs> I well, I think, them. I mean, look, it was a very, it's a very interesting time to be sure. And I agree with you in the grand scheme of things of what we have put the black community through over 400 years, mm-hmm. starting with uh, systematic kidnapping uh, and ending with, um, uh, you know, I mean, whatever, just the whole manifestation and morphing of forms of Jim Crow, of segregation laws, of poll taxes. I mean, you can go on and on and on and on. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it doesn't seem to compare at all. I mean, one of the things, and I don't mean to offend you, Amy, however, one of my, <laughs> what, one is, of, what is this going to be a Jew, a Jew thing? It's a Jew thing. Oh, one Jesus. of my pet peeves is when we are taught about the Holocaust, we are told to never forget. When we are taught about slavery, we are told that was a long time ago. Get over it. And I just don't understand. I don't think either experience should be forgotten. Right. But we were right? the perpetrators. I mean, I, cor- correct. I don't think that, I think that, that, that reconciliation can go a long way with acknowledgement. Right. Right. And I've been to, um, and again, I'm a weird history geek, but I've been to uh monticello and it's like blah 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 and he was loved and blah 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 oh, and that's where the slaves were and they loved him oh my they god loved oh him. my god oh my he god. was so nice to the slaves and the slaves loved him oh, and like gross what the fuck yeah so gross so gross right. i mean he and he thomas jefferson wrote about the abomination of slavery and held over a hundred slaves 
one of which he had a child with and she oh, was 15 years old. Oh my God. And oh. so I think that until we, you know, we really need to be more honest about these situations. And in the here and the now, looking at your feet, if you have a black kid in the group and a white kid in group, the white kid is not looking at prison. Right. The black kid is looking at prison, even if they have exactly the same story well, in terms yeah, of- Well, that was what we saw. We saw that the, the, like just from the stats, the penalties for the same exact crime were much harder. I was reading a newspaper article and it was the same charge. The white kid got 18 months in county jail. The black kid got 20 years in prison. <gasps> got 20 years in prison. Correct. Well, because oh a lot God. of those cases are pled down. They don't even get a trial and they never see a judge. They plead them out, you know, with, a public with an overworked public defender. So, look, it's a really tragic, awful situation. And I do think that it is important for the recovery community to do more, you know, to do something. <laughs> I yes. think we need to encourage, we need to encourage more black men to go into social work, which I've done. I've always, I'm like, look, guys, how about this kind of coaching? And women. And, and the yeah, recovery and community yeah. needs to understand <laughs> The recovery community needs to understand that systemic oppression is an abuse that co-occurs with substance abuse. Right. Right. Can you elaborate on that? Because that sounds exactly right. <laughs> so, like, okay, so we talk about PTSD, right? And we talk about child abuse and, and we understand how that manifests into dysfunctional living, right? And how it can accompany substance abuse. It can lead to substance abuse. Um, but for some reason, people are unwilling to see that systemic oppression, which can come in the form of, I can't walk down the street because the cops are going to pull me over every time. I can't drive my car because the cops are going to do something. Um, I can't wear my hair the way I want to because my boss is going to look at me and not give me a promotion. Oh. No, I'm not going to get hired if my name is a certain way on a resume. All of it continually mm -hmm. um, contributes to psychological abuse, right? And right. that can accompany substance abuse. And that is a form. It should be in the DSM. Let's just put it out there. It should be in the DSM. I agree. I agree it should be in the DSM. I think that trauma, of, I think that racial trauma is diagnosable, we can identify it, and we can probably treat it at an individual level. We can't, we can change the culture in certain ways, um, but you know, you do still have to live in the world. I mean, and I have this argument with Andrew all the time, and Lori's always telling me you are too hard on him. And I'm like, look, I don't make the fucking rules. I'm not black in America, you are. You are, you have to go into the world and protect yourself and negotiate you know, his current thing is um, he's applying to medical school and BYU is really interested. And he's like, well, oh, there's no wow. black people there. Dude, there's and no was, Jews in Utah. I mean, I, I don't know, want to go but to it's Utah. like, look, if you're going to go to medical school for free, I'm like, well, fly you to LA. You can see all the black people you want. But, <laughs> you know, 
I mean, I don't, I don't, I get it. I totally understand. And I actually feel really badly. No, that Utah's he has weird. Come on. Mormons are weird with their like fucking like magical underwear and shit. That's some, that's some, that, I mean, Utah's white, white. In like, no I'm not way, even comfortable there. Come on. In no way do I think it's not weird. But I think that when you are immersed in a process to become a physician, mm-hmm. you do the best you can, even if you're steeped with white people. So let me just lighten this conversation up a little bit. Amy, would you like to hear a Lori Dew story? I would. I don't okay, want to hear so, more for, from, Ch- from Francesca. <laughs> I, I know, so but let me just... You, loud I get yeah. it, but let me, <laughs> let me... And Francesca, you may want to comment on this story. So Lori decides, you know, our, our lab needs like gluten-free food or some bullshit. <laughs> and so she takes... She took Andrew with her to go get the dog food, and he's just like wide-eyed, like this is for animals. Mm-hmm. Right, well, explain where explain where Andrew came from. <laughs> well, he he's from he's from Nairobi. He's from one of the slums in Nairobi, and um, you know, so the idea that and he says to me, who who like he was very confused at the <laughs> idea that there are stores specific to food for animals much less 9,000 different kinds of food for animals. (laughs) And I was just like, uh, Andrew, it's crazy white people. That's who fucking thinks their dog needs all this shit. And so it was just one of those like moments of how different our experiences in America are. Yeah. So anyway, and you're... uh, yeah, I mean, totally. And, 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 you know, I mean, I don't think that that ever comes into play with people who think their dog needs gluten-free kids. <laughs> <laughs> Francesca, tell us more. How, tell us. God, there's a market us. for that? Gluten-free? I mean, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Oh, my God. Girl. Oh, yes. That's even too white for me. That's some white shit. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I just joined this like weird like social group, and I'm like, these bitches too white for me. I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't really understand. Everything's pastel and like their lattes, and I don't, I don't understand their blowouts, and I just don't get it. Makes me feel weird. It's just a different life, right? Just just like I don't get it. I mean, so um, what do you think is the most so? So you're you're working in a, a Medicaid run facility now, and you like it but so much better. Medical, yes. Medical. Do you and you like it so much better? I do. Or, I I do. There's more diversity with the staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's important is is diversity on every level, right? Yes. So everyone at the top can't be white, and everyone at the bottom can't be right. black or brown. Right. So that's um. Yeah, I mean it's it's the same and it's different, right? Yeah. So whereas you know on the west side it's just like failure to launch times a million. I mean it's amazing. It's failure to launch times a million. Um, what do you mean failure to launch times a million? What does that mean? <sighs> I mean? It means entitled white people who are shitty parents and their fucking kid won't do anything. They want that pathologized, so they send them to fancy rehabs for somebody to fix them. Oh, okay. Francesca, those, do you agree with that? <laughs> those were definitely Joe's words. 
<laughs> but I mean, and not always. I get it, but that's a lot of it. I mean, the lot. Oh, whatever. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. All right. And Tr- um, Francesca is so nice to be like the softer like person. Like finally in a duo, I've never been like the softer. Like everyone's like Amy's so diplomatic. Like someone called him a delight in a fucking review, and like he won't let it go. I'm like, you're not a delight, Joe. You're fucking obnoxious. People don't like you. I don't care if it's the truth. Like are you want to spect- You don't understand how offensive you can fucking be. He's like, it's just the truth. I'm like. It doesn't matter. Couch it in a different way. Anyway, right? right. How would you describe failure to launch in a more diplomatic way? Um, well, I think that, like I said, there's a lot of resource, right? right. There's a lot of resource. Um, there's a lot of education right. from from these these clients, um, generations of education, right? But there is something missing that leads them to the substance abuse. So whereas you have on the other side of the pendulum, systemic policies, just, you know, oppression contribute to their use. I, on the West side, it doesn't, it doesn't. Right. And someone right. may argue that with me, but um, there is more privilege and the hurt is the same. And a lot of times the family dynamics are the same, but you're able to cover up the dysfunction a little bit easier with more money. Mm -hmm. Um, But people hurt in the same way. Right. So you, you like, I could have someone whose parent um, has certain ways because their, their parent was in the great depression. Right. And, and was raised a certain way. And you can see how the trauma trickles down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have someone on the other side whose parent, whose parent, so it's not like a generation removed, right? Right. Everything with, with people of color is still constant. Like that's what you need to, to right. remember. Whereas- So how do, how do they- Francesca, how do they... It, sorry, in all, in all honesty, and in, in like just sort of brass tacks, get out the honesty. In black neighborhoods and black communities, what do they call failure to launch? Well, I can't speak for every black person, but failure to... You know, I think that we just want the opportunities to be able to launch. Does that make sense? It does. No, it absolutely makes sense. We want the opportunities to be able to launch. So in my opinion, a failure to launch is when you have the opportunities and they're not taken. And you don't take them. That's me. That was me. Okay. That was me. So I completely understand that. And I can give insight if you, if you want it, but I I mean, (laughs) I, (laughs) she laughs. I mean, I, I did, you know, I had that. And, um, all I can say is that staying broken keeps people fixing you and giving you money and supporting you. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. And that the even if your parents are trying to help, what they end up doing is sort of crippling you. Mm-hmm. Because you don't ever have to do anything for yourself. So you never learn to do anything for yourself. So you don't believe that you can do anything for yourself. Then you're afraid to do anything for yourself. And it's this horrible cycle. Uh, and then you're just sort of paralyzed. Yeah, um, and absolutely. Believe, don't, and then you don't believe that you 
can function in the world and you need somebody, a rich husband or whatever to take care of you because you don't know how to navigate in the world because you've never done it. Yes. And I, that was my experience and I had it for a really long time until basically, you know, everything got ripped away from me and I was sweeping the streets, you know, facing a felony charge, going through divorce, you know, on medical disability in a sober living for two and a half years, starting over at 42 years old. And I just went, this is the best thing that ever fucking happened to me. And this is exactly what I needed, which is to learn. No one's going to come save me. No one's going to do it for me. You know what I mean? And it was like that clicked. And I went, time to get your shit together, Amy. Time, you know, my dad was like, I, I got to cut you off. I'm like, but I'm only four to two. You know, my dad's like, what are you fucking, really? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was just, and I had, I did everything. I just, I, I babysat. I did, I wrote. I mean, I had a fire under my ass because there was no net anymore. Mm-hmm. No one was going to fucking pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If I didn't finish the, the community labor, I was going to fucking jail. There right. wasn't, it was over. And it shifted me. And I, I wish other people could have that shift without having to go through what I went through because it was really terrifying, but it, it created something within me that I didn't know I had. And it changed me. And, and I've been sober since. And I love Seven when you years. say no one's going to do it for you, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think a lot of times in recovery, um, people kind of tiptoe with their clients and addiction is ugly. Like, why are you tiptoeing? Like she was just on the street doing whatever she needed to get that last hit. Like, no, this is not a tiptoe situation. She needs to understand that she has a choice, right? We always have the dignity of choice. Right. And, but if you don't get your shit together, this is what's going to happen. So you need to let me know what you want to do. I can't do it for you. I'm here with you. Right. But I can't do it for you. What do you want to do? Not what does mommy want you to do? Not what's dad, what dad mm-hmm. wants you to do? Because at the end of the day, you come into treatment by yourself and you leave treatment by yourself. Yeah. You have yeah. to be real with clients like that. With the understanding that there's childhood trauma, with the understanding that, the, you know, everything has contributed to this. But at the end of the day, what are you going to do for yourself? And I and don't wait to the 20th session to ask someone that. Good for you. You need yeah, to absolutely. ask them in the beginning. This is real life. Real life is ugly. Sometimes people aren't going to care about you. You're the one that's going to care about yourself all the time. What are you going right. to do? What yeah. are you going to do? Yeah, it's about self-empowerment. It really <laughs> is about that. And it <laughs> took me a really long time to get there. I mean, I knew the problem. I think in my first or second rehab, they were, I was like, I don't want to grow up. And my parents were just like, oh, God, you know. <laughs> and then, then my father went to Al-Anon. And, one, he went, and I called him once. And I was like, I'm going to kill myself. And I need money. And I'm using drugs. You know, blah, blah. And I can't stop using. My dad said, you used to be able to ruin my life. Now you can't ruin my lunch. And I went, oh, fuck. It's over. It's over. Like, I couldn't puppet anyone anymore. And once that stopped, I sort of just was like, okay. I mean, in the last month, I've known two people to die from this disease. And it just, it breaks my heart. And I feel like I have a little bit of, 
survivor's guilt, to be honest with you. And someone goes, well, that's because you're Jewish. I was like, no, but I, you know, I just, why am I, why, how am I still here? It's just like, I mean, you're right though. It's like, you can't tiptoe around. People are going to, you're going to fucking die. Yeah. Truly. Especially now with the fentanyl and all kinds of car oh, fentanyl yeah. and all kinds of shit that's around there. Like one shot, man, you're out. Yep. You know? Do you, do you get, do you, and this is sort of a question for both of you. Do you think that the general population understands the severity? I mean, cause I'm, I, I, Amy, I'm with you. I, I live in a world where people drop dead all the time and it's awful, awful. and I hate it. Um, and it's, you know, I have my own PTSD from exposure to that experience, but do you think that people in general understand the severity of what, of this? Cause they don't seem to. Francesca? I don't think people understand, which is why people aren't compassionate. I think yes. that people think that substance abuse is episodic, right? Instead of a chronic disease. Right. Yeah. And until it really touches them, there's not even a willingness. I don't, I don't get it. There's not even a I, willingness to try to, to understand someone's suffering. That's what it is, right? It's just really trying to understand someone's suffering. Right. They don't under, they think it's, I mean, even though mine was episodic, it was for 25 years. You know what I mean? I would, I would do it for two years. I get clean for a couple of years. I would do it, do, move on to something else. And it's just like, it was never just a phase. My father was like, I, it, I knew it was just a phase. I was like, no. what, the last 25 fucking years? Like right. you're in denial. But I mean, I think that people, because you can't see it. Right. People th like mental illness. People think it's a choice. You mean you can't Still. see it under a microscope, or yeah, you can't, you can't like, see it on a scan or an X-ray? It's like depression. A, People go, test. "Well, it's your attitude." It's like, no, it's not my fucking attitude. You know what I mean? And it's like, and. You know, once you have time, I mean, you know, people think it's a choice. Well, they chose to do that. It's like, um, we have proof that there's genetic components to this. Right. So I don't know. You know, I, I just, I, I just, I mean, even if I, I just, the lack of compassion to me is stunning, stunning. And the stigma is mind blowing to me still, you know? I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that the stigma and we were just talking about and, and Francisco, I don't know if you heard, but we were talking about Andrew Gillum, who was a, you know, a sort of rising star in the Democratic Party. And I think he can come back. I really do. But I think that as a black man, it's harder for him. And I think that the stigma is deeper because of that belief that addiction is or drug use is crime. And, you know, it seems to be a deeper belief right. that that for black people it's more of a crime or something i think it's a harder thing to overcome in the culture if you have a substance misuse problem or a mental health problem and i would love to see that change i mean i would love to see a much more level playing field how um, can we do that francesca i mean i think the whole system has to change more, don't you you need more people of color in positions of power there we go i agree i agree a hundred percent. I think it's the that only way. when any when anything looks like a plantation system, it's functioning like a plantation system, Ooh. and that goes for the NFL and the NBA as well. Absolutely. When everybody is black but the head coach, that is bullshit. And I think it's here. bullshit yep. on 
it's it's bullshit in sports, it's bullshit in law enforcement, mm-hmm. and it's bullshit in mental health. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. And for Andrew, so if I ever it, have a treatment center again, you're in charge, Francesca. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that a lot these days. That's funny. <laughs> right? She's hot. She's the hot <laughs> shit right now, man. You know, well, with, with, Andrew, with Andrew Gillum, like it is going to be harder for him because everything is harder for Black people. So it is yeah. going to be harder for him. He's he will be able to rise above if that's his his choice you know what i mean that's what he wants to do right Right. he wants to continue on in politics but it it will be harder yeah yeah no it will be harder one last question and i don't mean to make you the authority on all things black (laughs) great because i am not (laughs) (laughs) i think and maybe i'm just a i don't know but i think we absolutely must have a black woman as vice president in a Biden administration. Like that has to happen. The time is now. The time is for this. We need not only women in positions of power and people of color in positions of power, mm-hmm. but women of color in positions of power. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is an, a critical thing because I think that at 77 years old, the chances are he will only serve one term and the vice president is teed up to be the president. Michelle so, Obama. Well, Michelle Obama would be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be awesome if he did that. But right? I mean, there are other ways. I mean, I, Kamala Harris, look, there are lots of people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe that is the key, that women are going to be more compassionate about mental health. Black women are going to understand the experience of the black community more than white women would understand that. And so we need Kamala Harris. That's what I, that's my opinion. <laughs> What do you think? Wait a minute, afraid? it was all of that to endorse Kamala Harris? <laughs> well, it ended up it ended up being that way. It didn't start out that way. I mean, I think that Susan Rice, I think she's also brilliant too. I mean, first and foremost, what I think is important is on the list. Totally. What I think is important is let's have smart people. Kamala Harris is a brilliant woman. Susan Rice is a brilliant woman. You know, there are lots of choices for this. And I think that it is important because I feel like they would, if you said to Susan Rice, we need to do something about this black people going to prison and white people going to rehab, that she's listening with a more empathic ear, like the ear of a mother, Mm -hmm. you know, the ear of, of an aunt, the ear of, and we don't, you know, that, that has not been implemented in American life to date. And it really should be. And I think that that's, a, it's a bit, it's a start, right? I think it would be great for a black woman to be president or vice president. Um, because like I said before, we need people of every different experience at the top. Yeah. Right. Every. Yes. So that everyone is taken into consideration, Right. Trump doesn't have to take everyone into consideration. Um, he doesn't care. He doesn't even see it. No. You have to have people who who understand uh, different experiences. It just makes for better policies. It just makes for better policies. 
It's, it's the same, certainly in the made same for reason, policies. I was going to say in the same reason that people get upset because all of these men are talking about contraception and, and women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. You know, you, Amy, you know my rule about that. Yeah, he's you know. like, if you don't have a pussy, you shouldn't talk about it. <laughs> I mean, is that kind of it? Rule of I mean, thumb. he's even weird about underwear. He's like, <laughs> I just it's think that, it's just I mean, really rule- private, <laughs> and it's like, I don't like to talk about panties. I'm like panties. No, I'm like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. It's really my it's rule just not is- my place. What's your rule? What's your rule? My rule is, unless you have a uterus, do not comment on them. Right. Right. Like you have to have one to be able to, uh, I, I, I mean, I can't imagine, uh, like, oh, well, you need a prostate exam. Let's call Nancy Pelosi and see what she thinks. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm like, what? what? I mean, you know, oh, no, no. Let's have a board of uh, Nancy Pelosi and, you know, maybe we'll get Kamala Harris. Let's get Diane Feinstein. <laughs> let's see. Let's see what they think about uh, somebody grabbing your balls and sticking their finger up your ass to scream for prostate cancer. Like, I mean, the idea of that is absurd on its face. So the idea that there are white men dictating women's bodies, I just, I just don't even think it should be anything that should happen. Well, you're right. And that's why we need more people of color. We need to see more people of color. Right. Everywhere in Congress yeah. and Senate. Yes. Everywhere. Yes. Yes, I agree. And, and, and these, there's generations of people who have never seen that, and they're freaking out. They're freaking yeah. out. It somehow, I think, think it that- somehow it makes them question their place in the world. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think that's what it is? I mean, do you think that there are just generations of people who are, who are rattled by the idea of the shrinking relevance of white people, specifically white male dominance? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I think too. And they, that's what I think. they will, they are, and some of them are very blatant about it, you know? Um, but the fact that you may have something just based on your whiteness is a lot for people to swallow. It's a lot for, for white people to swallow. Yeah. <laughs> it is. But I think it is too, but I just think like, I don't know. I mean, aren't white people tired of white people shit? <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, and look, I get it. I get that having this black child and specifically a black male child has opened my eyes in ways that most people will not experience because right. I don't know how you could, unless you're like everybody at the restaurant staring at you. Oh, Everybody's God. looking at him. Right. Everybody now. Th- I mean, th- they fucking just oh. followed him to the bathroom. Yes. You know, the whole, you know, and my mother's like, you have him scared to come to Orange County. Uh, <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> Orange County? Oh, like, I'm scared to go to Orange I County, okay? scared to go to Orange County? It's not the kids getting shot by the cops. <laughs> I was raised in Orange County. <laughs> Were you really? Yeah, I was raised in Santa Ana. Oh, that must have been interesting. Okay. No, I was raised in Santa Ana. I was a little more diverse, but uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're the best, Francesca. Thank you so much for coming on um, and being so honest and forthcoming. And um, we're going to put your link and your beautiful pick on. Uh, where can people find you? 
You know what? They can just find me on Instagram right now. Francesca okay. LMFT. You got it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and Francesca, I am always down to talk to young, uh, young guys who, you know, whatever. Call me. I'm always, I'm always happy to do that. I love it. Perfect. Thank you, Francesca, for joining Thanks us. Thanks so much. You've been awesome. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.